mueven. Sometimes I think we uh, naturally focus uh, on struggles, hardships. It's kind of how our, our brains almost start default mode. We, we, we think about those things, we lament over those things. They, those are the things that usually keep us, keep us up at night. The, the truth is, though, there are, there are many, many great joys in life. Life is, is filled with goodness. And whether that's uh, people that encourage us, whether that's family or friends, whether there's uh, events that we're involved in, things that we can participate in that are, that are good, whether it's just the, the natural beauty that's all around us, I think we can see that there, there is great joy in life. There is goodness in life. That, yeah, there's, there's plenty of struggles. There's plenty of hardship. Um, sometimes it seems like there's more hardship to go around than there's people, but there, there's plenty of joy and goodness in life as well. We, we know, and I'm sure that all of us know, that there are moments of extreme struggle. And even, even in, in those times... We're, we're battling for faith. We're battling for uh, righteousness and holiness. I, I hope that we continue on in joy and contentment in God. Because one of the, one of the real struggles or temptations that we go through when we struggle and what Satan is attempting to do and all the things that he throws at us is to somehow remove from us the desire to continue to be faithful. To worship our God, to be pleasing to God. And, and all of that, all of the stuff that, that Satan has power over, that he can throw at us or tempt us with, all of it is intended for the same thing, for the exact same purpose. To get us to doubt God, to get us to turn away from God, to no longer do the, the will of, of God. Corey reminded us around the table of Jesus' response to this time of great agony, this time of great struggle. And I think if we, if we look at that, if we review all that happened there, that, that Jesus' struggle was to continue to do the will of God. And that's what, that's what Satan is, is trying to get us away from. And that's why it's so vastly important when he says, not my will, but yours be done, over and over and over again. I think when you look at the cross, we see the pain that Jesus was anticipating. He, he knew that the cross was going to be terrible. The, the absolute suffering. And beyond just the physical, the, the taking on of sin and death as well is, and yet to do the will of God. We have such a, 
because of that, we have such a great capacity to be at peace with our God. That doesn't mean that life is always going to be easy, though. I, this last uh, little while, this last week, my, as you probably saw in the bulletin, my grandmother died. Um, she was a she was a great lady, and while we spent uh, many many times at her house, many summers, uh, her and Grandpa. And while Grandpa was a very uh, strong-willed person, Grandma ran that place. And Grandpa got credit for a lot of the things that went on there because he was the one that ran everything, but not much happened that Grandma didn't have her hand in. And there was always, uh, there was always rules at Grandma's house, like you couldn't just run around wild at Grandma's house. But she was kind and loving, and there was always dessert at every meal. You just can't go wrong with that. Lunch and dinner, there was always dessert. And it was always humorous because my grandpa would sit back, like without fail, he'd finish his meal, he'd lean back in his chair, and he didn't have, like, he didn't have a, a pot belly. Like, he was a very uh, skinny guy, but he'd stick out his belly and he'd say, what's for duff? And I have no idea where that came from or what it means, but for him it was, what's for dessert? And without fail, it seemed like, like, I, I can imagine him saying that even when we're not there. Like, every meal, like, he would say that. And without fail, she thought it was humorous. Like, two times a day, every day, for years and years and years and she would always think it was humorous and have something for dessert I was talking with my brother the other day and we were sharing stories and, and I was telling him you know we are talking about how grandma always made such great desserts and, and she always made my favorite I, I really like raisin pie and uh, she would always make raisin pie for me and Kelly goes I hate raisin pie she only made that because you like it. None of the rest of us, like the, him or the cousins, liked raisin pie. But there was always raisin pie. She was, uh, she was 89 years old. And in the last little while, her memory had faded and she didn't always recognize everybody. The last time my, my brother was there, she didn't know who he was or his wife, but she knew his kids. Which, and I, it's weird because you know, you know it's coming, right? You know the anticipation of it, and yet a surprise kind of at how much it still hits you. That connection that I had to my childhood and all some of the greatest memories I had in growing up was at their farm. And with Grandpa passing a couple years ago and now Grandma, there's, there's no tangible connection to that, that childhood, to that place, to that, those memories. 
I went on uh, I went on Google Earth the other day and, and just looked at the farm and everything that's still there, the barn and the house and and it's a little bit different because the neighbor the neighbor bought it so he tore some fences down and he's using it for different things but there's so much still similarity. And there's always the the moments of those those struggles, the moments of those hardship to to find in ourselves the desire in that to give praise to God. That I I had that childhood. I have those memories. I had grandparents that loved me and helped to, to raise me and guide me. And I, and I think Satan, he wants us in those moments of, of trial, those moments of ultimately of weakness, to think that God has left us, to abandoned us, that it, it can't be that God's close to us because we're hurting and we're in pain. And the, the exact opposite of that is true. Our, our, our God, by his very nature, is the defining characteristic of love, compassion. And he reaches out to those that are hurting and lost to make them whole again. And so we're going we're gonna to face struggles. And the question is, how do, how do we respond in that? Whether we see them coming or not, how are we as, as Christians, as the church, going to act when those things happen? Are we going to follow the example of Jesus, who we see, as Corey reminded us, that, that we see at maybe the, the hardest moment of his physical life, and there would have been more, like we don't get to see all of, of Jesus' life. There would have been moments of difficulty. There would have been moments of, of temptation. And yet we see at the garden where he is at this pivotal moment where there is no turning back. He chooses the will of God. The will of the Father. And we can be bonded to him. We can be connected to him. We can be joint heirs with him. To have that example drive us and motivate us. And sometimes I think we, we say that and it's some like mystical thing that we think, okay, well I've said that so now everything's going to be good. But there's actually the reality of choosing to follow his example. There, there, there is a time when, as the saying goes, a rubber meets the road that we will have to decide, we'll have to choose, we'll have to make choices to follow him. God has called us to him. He's called us to faith, to hope, and to love. Turn to, into Hebrews chapter 12. We are called to be a people of faith. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. 
For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Give thought to the great cloud of witnesses. As described for us in Hebrews, we see this great cloud of witnesses. How many of them went through life easily? Go back and read. How many of them was their faith defined because their life was simply easy and the road was always smooth? That God never called them to anything difficult, never called them to get up and leave their home, never called them to stand against giants, never called them to do anything of importance or difficulty. You go back and read. How many names would you cross off the list if that was true? None. They, they all were called to great things, to difficult things. And they chose in those times of difficulty, faith. Go up a mountain and sacrifice your son. And the next passage says what? Early the next morning, he got up and took his son and went off to do exactly that. Even when the son asked him, uh, okay, we got everything we need but a sacrifice, what are we doing here? The reply is what? God will provide faith in God at that the most difficult of things asked. This is our great cloud of witnesses, those that choose faith. It doesn't end there. We see all through Scripture these great cloud of witnesses, and, and, and I don't think it ends there. I think we can look around and we can see uh, men and women that are continuing to choose faith and be encouraged by that. Those that have, have struggled through life and been faithful. There is such wonder in that, isn't there? Encouragement in that. Because the truth is we're all going to have to do that. We're all going to have to battle through those things and choose faith. Verse 2, we see a, a fairly important um, kind of defining feature of that great cloud of witnesses. It says, having fixing your eyes on Jesus, who is the pioneer and perfecter of faith. So as they're running this race, this race that is marked out for us, this idea of our call to perseverance, where should we have our eyes fixed? One of the, one of the things that we got to do when we were at the farm is uh, Grandpa would, wanted us to learn how to do much of what he learned to do as, as a child that he kind of took for granted as second nature. And so he would, he would teach us how to how to drive the horses, how to harness the horses, how, how to do all the things that, that he kind of just instinctively knew how to do because they did them for their livelihood as, as kids. And so we had this time where we would, we would always spend time with the horses and drive the horses and have teams of horses and you'd have a two teams or, or two horses or four or six and he would, he would have them all geared up and he had his, 
regular everyday gear and then he had his fancy show gear and you didn't touch that because you didn't want to mark it up because he had already spent time polishing it and so you could look but not touch um, and, and so anyway what we would we would learn how to teach and every once in a while he would pull out a horse that he was just learning to train or just training this horse and it would be interesting to watch because he would pair it with a horse that was really stable that that was really calm that listened really well so that the one horse could learn from the other could, could pick up cues on how to act when you know he didn't want to be there is that horse that was just learning it didn't want to go left or right when you tell it to go left or right it wants to go where it wants to go and eventually, if it, wasn't, if it wasn't picking up on this idea that you could learn from the person next to you, he would actually have to put uh, blinders on it. And so you'd have these, these blinders that would, would keep the horse from seeing anything but was right ahead. Why? Because that horse is looking all around and it sees a field over there. Well, I let's go over there. Well, oh, there's something over there. Let's, let's go over there. Oh, great, there's the barn. I'm going to go this way. And you're trying to get it to go that way. Instead, having its eyes fixed on where you want it to go. That same idea for us. Where do we want to be? What do, what do we want our lives to look like? How, how do we want them to turn out? Where do we want to go? What do we want our eternity to look like? Well, if we answer all of that, that we want to be with our God forever, we want to be pleasing to God, we want to do those things that are according to the will of God, then where do we have to have our eyes fixed? Is there an example set for us on how to do all these things? Is there somewhere we can look for guidance and strength and encouragement? Again, we know the answer to that. That is yes. And so this is why Scripture tells us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, because He is, and it says, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. And following along this narrow path is important to follow the example of Jesus. Even Jesus endured opposition. Now we see through Scripture that, that oftentimes his opposition was uh, the religious elite, those religious leaders that, that didn't recognize him for who he was, that didn't believe. But here it says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. What is that? What does that mean that we should consider him who, can, who endured such opposition from sinners? Are we to gain encouragement from Jesus and how he interacted with those who opposed him? His willingness even to go to a, the cross while there is those that yelled, crucify him, crucify him? Are we really to gain encouragement from looking at him as our example on how to act when there are struggles in our lives? Clearly, clearly we are. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that he went to the cross and died so that you, us, so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. 
Are we going to have struggles in life? Are, are there going to be difficult? Is there going to be opposition? Are there going to be times of failure and regret? Yes, there's going to be all of those things. How do we deal with those things? We fix our eyes on Jesus. We do not give up. We do not grow weary. We do not lose heart. We continue on. Continue on struggling against sin. Against temptation. The next part of Hebrews says this. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone who accepts, he accepts sorry, as his son. Christ did give his blood. We, we have not resisted to the point of shedding our blood. And we are, we are fairly fortunate to live in a part of the world where there really isn't much physical persecution. There, there are parts of the world now that still are dealing with great a great amount of physical persecution for being Christian. And we don't, we don't really see it on the news much. But there are Christians being martyred all over the world for the name of Christ that are giving of their lives because they refuse to turn away from Jesus. The persecution we face is a lot more subtle. Not all, all that subtle is even sometimes. But it's the, the attitude that it can't be right. It can't be right. It can't, it can't be talked about. It, can't, it shouldn't be what society is about. The, the pressure to, to not be Christian, to not be a part of the church, to not be godly. And we have to resist. We have to struggle against this. As it says, struggle against sin. Struggle against, do not give up. Christ gave his blood. The question that comes out of this is, are you a child? Are you a child? Now, part of us wants to say, well, no, I'm... I'm not a child. You will always be a child. When I was uh, in my re rebellious years, as a, I was never really that rebellious, but as a, in my rebellious years as a teenager, my mother would always say, when I said, well, I'm old enough to make my dis own decisions, she would always say, I will always be your mother, and you'll always have to do what I tell you. Now, some of that has changed. But she is always going to be my mother. And I will always be a child. And if we look at this from the perspective of what is being said here, we are God's children. We're always going to be His creation. He is always going to be our Heavenly Father, our Creator. But will we relent? Will we give in to Him? Will we turn our lives over to him will we be his children and it says something about what he does 
how he acts. And what does it say? My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone who accepts, he accepts as his son. Is there encouragement there? Is there an encouragement in those words? Do we find encouragement in being rebuked and disciplined? Ask a child that question. And the child will say what? More often than not, the child will say what? No. There is not much encouragement in being disciplined. But we are not children in the sense that we think like a child and act like a child. Is there encouragement in knowing that God loves us enough to want the absolute best for us? For us to acknowledge and know what is good. Because He loves us, He does not want us to stay in sin. Because He loves us, He does not want us to lose the life that He has given us. To squander it. You look at the story of the prodigal son from the perspective of the father and the hurt of having a son come and say, I want my inheritance now. Because what's the intent there? What, what, is that, what is he saying to his father? I want you to give me what is mine as though you were dead. I'm not, I can't even wait for you to die. I want you to give me what is mine now, as though you had died. Consider that from the perspective of the father, the hurt and pain, if your child came to you and said those words, and then went off and squandered it with wild living, to the point where that, that son is literally feeding pigs and says, I wish I could eat this. And then that same father, watching, watching, waiting, and yearning for his son's return. And when that son comes back, he runs out to him. He doesn't sit there and wait and say, well, I'll wait for him and see what he says. If his, if his apology is good enough, then he'll, he'll be a part of the family again. I'll make him work for it. He runs out to him embraces him and makes him a part of the family and throws this huge party for him because he has returned that which is lost has been found is there encouragement in how much our God loves us and wants us that he loves us so much that he will call us up out of sin that there is discipline and there is rebuke that we will not stay in where we are. God will not allow that if we want to be his children. There is a great deal of encouragement because we know our God loves us. We know our God loves us. The next part of this passage in Hebrews chapter 12 says this. Endure hardship as discipline. 
God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father, if you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as though they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather heal. Hardship. What does this passage say that we need to do? Well, the initial title of this page is Endurance. Because the scripture tells us that we need to endure hardship as discipline. And the intent of discipline is to do what? The intent of discipline is to refine us. It says that we are disciplined because God wants what is best for us. We endure these things. We understand that in, even in the midst of these things, we can draw closer to our God. Does it always feel like that? I mean, the great answer would be yes, it always feels like that. But probably more likely the truthful answer is no, it doesn't always feel like that. That's why we have these reminders, right? That's, this is why we have this encouragement here to endure hardship. To endure hardship is discipline, that, that the intent of that is for our own good. Because God disciplines those whom He loves. It says God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His, in His holiness. Because we're drawing closer to Him, we're being, we're being faithful. Give thought for a second to, to Job. Is what Job went through hardship? That was a softball question right there. Yes, easy. He went through extreme levels of hardship. He lost virtually everything that he probably held dear in his life. He lost all of his... His, his livestock, he lost his servants, he lost his family. Everything was, was taken from him in seemingly an instant. And then, and then he lost his, his health. That's, that's hardship. That's a struggle. Would we go to him and say, well, you shouldn't mourn because this is God telling you that he loves you? How, what would your reaction be if that's what someone came and said to you? That, that would be cruel. We, we mourn with him because he is mourning and he is hurting. And yet we see in his reaction this, this endurance, this persistence in faith. Because his reaction is what? Yes, he is mourning and he's hurting. And yet it is one of extreme reliance 
on God. And so when his wife comes and says to him, why don't you just curse God and die? His response is, no, I, that can't be. That can't be the reaction. Who are we to blame this on God? We, we have to continue to be faithful. In those moments, it's hard to say, I'm going through this for my own good. Because it's so far from good. But when God calls us to that which is good and says that this is for our own good, what does he mean? If we're looking at Job as the example, saying, okay, you've lost all of this and it's, it, you're better off. Is that what he's saying? Life is better off now that you're alone with a wife who told you you should curse God and die. Well, no. But can he, in endurance, in persistence, have a faith that is tried and true and understand that it is solid, that God is there, that God loves him, and have a close connection to God? Is that good? Life, yeah, all of the physical pain it is going to be real. But God calls us to understand that life is to be lived, to be pleasing to Him, to be closer to Him. And He wants what is ultimately the good for us. Verse 12 of Hebrews chapter 12. It says, therefore, you know, therefore is a a connector from the, the verse that we're just about to read to that which has come before it. So the therefore, this talking about the discipline, talking about the endurance, talking about the persevering, talking about being his children. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Do we gain strength from a reliance on God? Now, it seems, it seems almost uh, counterintuitive that if you have a reliance on something, that you aren't strong yourself because you're reliant on something else, right? Like if I was reliant on someone to tie my shoes, then I would not know how to tie my shoes myself. At some point, my parents said to me, no, you can tie your shoes yourself. You got to go out and learn. And so I did learn, even though for much of my teenage years I wore Velcro shoes because it was just easier. Um, I still know how to do it. I'm not reliant on someone to do that. However, when we talk about being reliant on God, it's a vastly different thing. Because God builds us up, encourages us, God instills in us the characteristics that we need to be strong, that when we walk in step with the Spirit, we gain these characteristics, the fruits of the Spirit. And so we are built up in us a strength when we are reliant on God. If we, if we think that we will do this alone, that we will endure all of this alone, we will not have this, this guide or encouragement that will build in us these characteristics. We will have times of 
selfishness and anger, pride, all of the things that keep us from being humble servants of God and truly enduring with faith. There is great strength in a reliance on God. And as we talked about at the very beginning, I think the temptation in all of these things that Satan wants us to give into is to turn away from God. To draw back from God. To draw back from the church. To draw back from the will of God. And to say that we're alone. And we've got to do this ourselves. We've got to figure it out ourselves. We have to provide our own strength. We have to provide our own wisdom. And yet when you read through the Word of God, it tells us the opposite of that. Draw near to God and, and He will draw near to you. So, so when we think, well, if I step back and provide my own wisdom, my own strength, then I'll be able to approach God with wisdom and strength. And what does He tell us about our own wisdom, about our own strength? You can't rely on them. The wisdom of man is foolishness to God. Come to God who provides wisdom and strength. Be holy as He is holy. He calls us to Him, to draw near to Him, to flee from temptation, to flee from the devil, to come to Him. Because in Him there is strength. And if we desire to endure, we do not step back from those things. We do not step back from God. We do not step back from meeting together. But we draw near to him. Cling to God and be faithful. I want to close this morning by reading again in Hebrews. It says, make every effort. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 14. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteousness made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel.